Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 158th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good! Fred Brown looking. Oh, way to worthy! Worthy five! The Star Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court. Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb Brooks straight away! Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. We're about 20 hours or so removed from Carolina starting their season with a, we'll call it a workmanlike 69-56 to 56 win at home over UNC Wilmington to kick off the 2022-23 season. This is also the 113th year of Carolina basketball. And with last night's win, they improved to 101-12 and all-time in-season openers. As you, as you well know, this is the number one team in college basketball. That last night was their 219th win all time while being ranked number one. And Carolina improved to 453-82 and 82 in the Smith Center. But, buddy, you know, I think you know, we both obviously picked Carolina to win the game, and they did. They entered the game, though, as 23-point favorites. Mm-hmm. And we expected them to cover that, that, that spread. That didn't happen. With all things considered, uh, it was still, you know, it wasn't the, the the prettiest performance. It wasn't the sexiest performance. But there was a lot of things positive to take away last night as Carolina got their season off with the victory. I mean, that's basically, this game was basically just a representation of myself. Not pretty, not sexy, but still, uh, you know, still, still, still a, a win, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I, I I tried something there. Um, no, I mean, I again, it's like you said. I I really thought Carolina would be a little bit more dominant in this game. Um, I thought you know at, at the least they would pull away late to probably be able to cover. But it's also real tough to sort of tell, you know, what type of team you're facing coming into games like this. Uh, this Wilmington team, I thought showed last night that they are a pretty good team. I know you said they were picked to finish fifth uh, in the preseason poll in the Colonial Athletic Conference or Athletic Association. I'm going to tell you right now, 
If that's the case, there are some really good teams in the Colonial this year. Uh, Because that team, I I thought, look, they lost some guys from a year ago. But just like a lot of these mid-majors are doing, and I I mean, look, it kind of works both ways. You are seeing them benefit from being able to pick up guys that are transferring down, just like you're seeing teams in the power conferences be able to you sort of you know benefit from the guys that transfer up and I thought you saw a little bit of that last night you saw a couple of guys that made impacts that were uh you know power conference guys that transferred down and I thought you just saw a team that was motivated to come out and prove something after they won the conference the, the regular season championship a year ago in the colonial conference and they didn't end up making the NCAA tournament. You know, from Carolina's perspective, I think you saw a team that was I'm not gonna say tight. I think that this was They were nervous. I, I, I wouldn't even say nerve I think they were I think they were a little a little overhyped. I think they were so excited to sort of kick this season off. And you saw some uncharacteristic mistakes from them. You saw some things that I don't think are going to be very representative of what they're going to do, especially on the offensive end of the floor. It just looked like a team that at times was trying to do things a little too frantically, trying to push a little too hard. And, you know, I think, again, there's some things that you can take away from this game that are going to you know, last throughout the season, no doubt, especially hopefully on the defensive end of the floor. But I also think, it's like I said when we previewed this game, there wasn't anything that you could do to win, to, to, to prove that you really are a national championship caliber team in this game last night. If you would have come out and won by, by 40, 50, people would have said, well, you played, you played a mid-major. What do you yeah. expect? Um with with this game but but at the same time I don't think that the fact that this game was closer than some people thought it was going to be should really be taken as this is what Carolina is cuz I'm already seeing it. I'm seeing people that are already saying, well this Carolina team probably isn't as good as we thought they were going to be. Is this really the number 1 team in the country? I mean, my I I don't to me there's nothing that Carolina if they would have lost the game, we could have a different conversation. But there was nothing that Carolina did last night that I think proves either way that they are a either the favorite to win the national title or that they're an overrated team. Yeah, I mean, I think the things that stand out to me the most was first off, you got to credit the opponent. Uh, that was as physical a game I've seen Carolina play in the non-conference season against a mid-major in a very long time. That was a team that. Is, is going to be more physical than teams Carolina will play in the ACC. And that's not me exaggerating. I thought UNC Wilmington, their 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 game plan was to throw all their bodies at Carolina's, and they, they really muddied the game up. I thought the thing that I was probably most discouraged by outside of Carolina being out-rebounded was the fact that UNC Wilmington dictated the tempo and the pace of the game. And while Carolina did a much better job winning those types of games last year, you know, in the last two months of the year, that was something I wanted to see them last night come out there and dictate the way the game was going to be played, and it didn't happen. Um, but again, these types of wins, as much as we don't, we, we don't, we don't want to say it or believe it. This win will translate, 
and it'll translate back in ACC play where they have to win a game where they're shooting 20% from the three-point line. They're getting beat on the glass. They'll be able to look in their huddle and say, hey, guys, we can win a game like this once again. Well, and the one thing that I think is different from last year, we saw Carolina play these types of games in the non-conference a year ago. I go back to the game against Brown that we talked about in the preview. That was a game that, look, for the majority of that one, we were actually questioning could Carolina lose that game. Were we really sitting here during this game and questioning whether or not Carolina was actually going to win the game? I don't I don't really feel like that that was the one thing Randolph Childress said it at the end of the broadcast was that Carolina was kind of in control the majority of the way, but I think a lot of people felt like the margin would have been a little bit bigger. So uh, to me, you you still saw a step forward from this team. And here's the thing. If Carolina ultimately goes down goes on to cut down the nets or to be to be real honest with you, I don't really think it matters what Carolina does. People are not going to remember this opening result. Like I I just I don't see this really carrying over unless this team goes on and loses you know, here in the next, you know, week or so, maybe then you start to talk about, hey, we probably should have seen early on. But if this team goes on and, and, and starts to settle in and do what we thought they were going to do to Wilmington, to a lot of these other opponents in the non-conference, nobody's even going to remember this result. Oh, yeah. You know, this 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 game, if Carolina has the season we anticipate them having, It'll just be a footnote. Let's take a look at the box score quickly brought to you by DraftKings. Head over to DraftKings via the app or their website. Use our promo code TBPN to activate our latest and greatest offer. As you could imagine, it's not a pretty box score because of the the the, the, the amount of scoring or the, 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 the lack of scoring, if you will. Carolina did shoot the 46% from the field. They were 22 of 48. They held Wilmington to just 29%, including 24% in the second half. Uh, Carolina just shot 20% from behind the three-point line, but only 10 attempts. So not a lot of three-point attempts last night for Carolina. They held UNCW to 25%. They were 4 of 16 the one way Carolina made up for their lack of offense was they got to the foul line and scored with the clock stopped. They were 23 of 30 from the foul line, which evens out to 77%. Armando Baycott led the way with six made free throws out of his 11 attempts. But Wilmington also got to the foul line. They were 18 of 24. Carolina did a much better job protecting the basketball, just nine turnovers, which Wilmington scored 14 points off of. Carolina did force 11 and they scored 11 points off of those. As I mentioned earlier, Wilmington did out-rebound Carolina 37-32, including 16-7 on the offensive glass. But most importantly, Carolina only did allow 14 second-chance points. So even though they didn't get the initial box out and get the initial rebound, their defense stayed intact, and they did not give up second-chance buckets. The bench points was 7-6 to six in favor of Wilmington, and where Carolina really really put put their stamp on the game 34 to 18 was the points in the paint and then the assist carolina with just four assists on 22 made baskets wilmington just three assists on 17 made baskets stay tuned for some more historical data on the assisting as we make our way through this recap let's move on now to the quote of the game and hubert davis you know i, I listened to his 
press con- or his interview with Voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel. And I said they played nervous because he said they played nervous. And it was a good nervous. It was a team that was nervous to come out and show that they were worthy of all the preseason praise they got this offseason from guys like you and me and the national media. And and while he but he would get, then later go on to say when he met with the media that he was proud of the effort and proud of the win, but was discouraged by the fact his team get beat, did get beaten on the boards. I was really proud of our guys, you know, because you know UNCW was very physical. You know, heading into the game, we knew that they were a physical team, and we had to match and be able to handle that physicality. And you know, especially in the first half, offensively, they just took us out of our rhythm offensively, and we didn't do a good job of of handling how physical they were. And you know, heading into the game, we knew that this was a team that was going to crash the offensive glass, and we talked about it, we practiced it, we drilled it, and. We just didn't do a good job of that in terms of boxing them out. They got 16 offensive rebounds. I think the thing we got to pay really attention to with Hubert Davis is last year the message was always positive. No matter what, no matter the situation, no matter the scenario. And one of the things the players really drew uh, drew, drew memory back to was after back-to-back blowouts, that week where they lost at Miami and at Wake Forest, which then forced me to come on here and make some, at the, at the time, questionable comments about the head coach, was that they anticipated showing up that Monday to a pissed-off head coach, be, be, be ready to run into, the, uh, you know, run into the ground and all that stuff. News alert, that's how I'm going to coach my team. Uh, I heard, are the rumors true that you were standing outside of the Smith Center and implored them to run and they just kept walking by you? That was that may or may not have okay, happened. Okay, all right. But he showed up in that moment and was very positive and very uplifting. It's, it's, it's a different season. Now there's, there's different expectations where, and, and you really saw this happen last year where he was still very positive during the tournament because his team was playing well and they were, you know, very close to winning a national championship. But he got tougher with his team, mm-hmm. and it was after that Baylor game where, you know, it was we got we got punched, we got kicked, but we punched and we kicked back. Then you go to UCLA, and he was like, "No, I want a team that punches first, that kicks first. And this is going to be a way. And Roy Williams was really good at this. It wasn't it wasn't anything disrespectful. But it was a subtle reminder and a subtle hit, and, and really a nice way to motivate his team. That as you learn that you got to come ready to play every night, that you're capable of doing it. And I think it's really interesting to hear his messaging throughout the season because this was a team that last year, for the first two months, was was mentally fragile. They they were mentally weak. They developed that mental toughness over the course of the season. It will be interesting to see how he pokes and prods his team as they try to as they, as their journey back to the Final Four is underway. Well, I mean, you can also you, you can't really blame them for being where they were at mentality wise a year ago because I mean, look at the two previous seasons. It wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of success, unfortunately, for Carolina to go off of. So yeah, last year, especially early on in the year, was really about building these guys up, building their confidence, letting these guys know that look, I'm behind you. 
I'm not the guy, I'm not the enemy here. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be extra critical of you. I'm going to be the guy that's going to coach you and teach you what has to be done in order for us to start winning at the level that we need to. Well, guess what? You did win at the level that this program is expected to win at. You got to the final Monday, and you nearly cut down the nets. And now the thing is, is that, look, it's not just Hubert Davis that has set this expectation for his team. It's not just the media. It's not just the fans. The players themselves have said, our goal is to come back and cut down the nets. So when you accept that goal, you're also going to accept that, look, we're going to be coached hard. We're going to be coached different than we were coached a year ago. And I think these guys know that. Um, what he said in the post game, to me, like nobody should be angry about that. He wasn't overly critical. He didn't come out and say that his team sucked or anything like that. No, he came out and said, which I didn't think they did. I think there were some really good things that Carolina did in this Mm -hmm. game. But I think at the same time, there were some things that you would probably be concerned about. Look, we've said this, you know, year over year, and I I said it when we previewed the in the podcast, and you've reiterated it multiple times as well. This is a team that, no matter what. The standard at Carolina is to be one of the best rebounding teams, if not the best rebounding team, in the entire country. So when that doesn't happen, when the rare occasion, I mean, I remember, what was it? Was it during the 2019 season? Or no, it might have actually been during the 2018 season. There was a game where Louisville absolutely dominated Carolina on the glass. And we came on here and absolutely lost it over the fact that Louisville was that dominant on the glass over Carolina. Like, Carolina does not lose the rebounding battle. So, yeah, to be disappointed in that aspect of the game makes a lot of sense. Um, I also was extremely disappointed at times with the shot selection. I thought the, the, it was unbelievably questionable. I thought there were some times where just how they ran the offense was head-scratching. I didn't get – there were multiple times. There was one stretch in the first half and another one in the second half where Carolina chose to just run their offense through Leaky Black. And look, I, I, we, we had an article that went up yesterday on the website that Ashton wrote about Leaky Black and how important he is to this team. And he is, he is unbelievably important to what Carolina does this year. But he, he knows what his role is. We found his role last year. He's a guy that, look, he can contribute to you if he really needs to, you should never have to run your offense through him, especially with the guys that were on the floor at times. That was what was just confusing to me. This was when you did have, there were times where Armando was on the floor with him, Caleb was on the floor with them, RJ was on the floor with them, and they were still giving Leaky the ball and asking him to go to work. That did not make any sense to me, and I thought the shot selection as a whole at times was just confusing. So those were the two areas that concerned me the most. Um, outside of that, I thought, you know, second half, you got to give it to them on the offensive end. The guards started getting downhill, getting to the basket. I thought that worked wonders for Carolina. That was where they had their most offensive success. And then, as I said, defensively, that was one of Carolina's best performances defensively that I have seen in a while. Well, I, I think with the offense is they, it looked like an offense that missed Brady Manick that really opened everything up for them last year. Um, the floor spacing wasn't where we wanted it to be, but let's go back to last year. And even with this new offense that Hubert Davis was installing, 
The floor spacing also wasn't there. It's going to be a work in progress. You've also got two guards that one of the big things they've worked on this year was becoming better passers of the basketball. And so they've got to learn the balance of, hey, when do I need to be a pass-first guard and when do I need to look for my own offense? And that's going to be a challenge because both guys, when they're hunting their offense – they're at their best. I thought defensively, that's the best Carolinas look defensively in the half court in November, maybe in my entire life. And I'm not exaggerating because that's probably the one thing that really I, I value the most, and that's the thing I, I, I really study the most, is does our defense improve from game to game, week to week, to month to month? And everything we were told about, uh, about Seth Trimble as a defender, was there on on display last night. I, I, you also got really good things from DeMarco Dunn off the bench. They had some lapses, I thought, in the first half with pick and rolls. That's going to happen. I thought they cleaned those up as well. Mm-hmm. And, look, they're not going to hold teams to 50, 56 points every night or 28% shooting. But I've I believed this roster is built to be very competitive defensively and be a top twenty five team. By the you know, way, sh- shout out Pete Nance too. He is yeah. he is so I mean he there so much more versatility as a defender. I mean he was playing out on the perimeter. One of the things that we that we saw last year this team struggle with at times was people would take advantage of Brady Manick. I never really felt like with Pete Nance on the floor last night, we're in trouble on the defensive end of the floor. I thought he was outstanding at times, just guarding on the perimeter. And this is a dude that is 6'10", out there guarding. So I thought that was one area where I thought he played really, really well. Well, that's why many people believe he's this team's most complete player because he, he's going to put the ball in the basket. He's going to rebound the ball at a high level. But his ability to impact the game on both ends of the court in a way that Brady Manick could not, mainly on the defensive end, might be the thing that pushes Carolina over the top. Let's move on now to the stat of the game. You would probably think I'm going to go rebounding because Carolina got out-rebounded by a mid-major, but I'm not. It's going to the assist because Carolina recorded only four assists in last night's game. That's their fewest since a double overtime loss in the NCAA tournament in 1980. On the flip side, they only gave up three UNC Wilmington assists, the fewest that they've held an opponent to since Kentucky... In Charlotte, back in 1975. Holy! So, what uh, an odd, what an odd, very odd game. Yeah, it was. It was two offenses that, um, for for Wilmington. Look, it's still surprising, but they were a team that their their offense was a lot of isolation basketball, and then they were just beating Carolina to the to the rebounding. For Carolina, I thought it was really a team that was too unselfish and not selfish enough and then the times where you had wide open looks at the basket the shots just didn't fall and so you know those numbers will be inflated but yeah just a a really weird game four total assists the lowest for Carolina since 1980 three assists allowed the lowest Carolina's allowed since 1975 so let's take a quick break we'll get you this week's ad from DraftKings and then we come back more thoughts and takeaways from Carolina's 69-56 season opening win over the UNC Wilmington Seahawks. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. 
the Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a same-game parlay, and continue multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. So whether you're betting the upcoming Panther game, if you're me, you know, as as a Dallas Cowboy fan, my co-host is a New York Giants fan, you can do all this and more at DraftKings Sportsbook. With bigger payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and place a $5 pregame money line bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you here on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. You mentioned the defense, and we'll focus on that really quickly. I think that's that that's got to be something that you know we want to see. Does that carry over from a night to night basis? I thought that was that one thing that that 2017 team had was they weren't they weren't afraid to get in your grill and defend you, and they weren't afraid to be very physical with you. I thought Leaky Black was as good as the perimeter as you wanted him to be last night. But I, I mean, I really came impressed with the way Seth Trimble pressured the ball and the way he he just constantly hounded um, the, the the Wilmington ball handlers and the way Pete Nance was able to dictate whether it was the passing lanes. He was able to protect the rim at times. It was just a a lot of different things where. We're really excited about the versatility of this offense and the explosiveness of this offense. But this defense can be one of the best defenses, not just in the ACC, but in all of college basketball, given the combination of you know talent and, and length and size. And you saw that on display last night. Well, you mentioned that this game was one uh, where UNC Wilmington pretty much played a isolation basketball. Well, part of that was because... I, I thought two things happened for Carolina. First of all, I thought their off-ball defense also was tremendous. You didn't see a bunch of guys that were just left wide open, which we've seen at times from Carolina. And I thought the other thing was one of the biggest issues that Carolina had early in the season last year, and they adjusted to it once we got into the latter part of the season and in the NCAA tournament especially, was they couldn't stop the ball. They had no issues with that last night. And UNC Wilmington, you, you can never really get get a drive inside to either finish at the rim or to then get things working where you could kick it out and start moving the ball around. So Carolina did an outstanding job the entire night with that. And it's across the board. You mentioned Seth Trimble. He was outstanding. But you also got to give credit to Caleb Love, to R.J. Davis. I thought the defensive intensity from those guys was much higher. And that was one of the things that we talked about with them, uh, you know, 
in the offseason. We know RJ is going to bring it every single night, but I thought he did a much better job of staying in front of guys. And I thought, Caleb, you definitely saw the intensity on that end of the floor as well. Um, there were multiple stretches in this game where UNC Wilmington went six-plus minutes without scoring a basket. Um that is not something you typically see. Carolina will have moments where they hold opponents uh, to you know a, a stretch like that, but to have multiple ones of those in the game in this game. Um, and and I, I thought you know as you mentioned early in the game, they struggled on a couple of switches. They they had a couple others later in the game that I thought they did a really good job of. So even just the in game adjustments from this team defensively. I thought Carolina was outstanding. Now, again, one of the biggest things that Carolina has to do better on the defensive end of the floor than they did in this game was they got a they got a defensive rebound better. I can't believe I'm saying that, but there were times where they just weren't in position to rebound or gave up their position that they had. So that's the thing. That's one thing that Carolina has to get better at. But other than that, I, I mean, this team just did everything that they needed to do. And the most encouraging part to me was they stayed in front of the basketball because last year there were so many times where they struggled to stop guys from getting to the rim. That was not remotely a problem in this game. You know, let's go ahead and transition to the rebounding because that's going to be the thing that stands out. Heber Davis mentioned it. Um, Both of us on the radio shows that we produce, we mentioned it. And look, it's it's not something you want to see because outside of shot making, it's the most important aspect of the game. Is you know usually the team that wins the rebounding margin, usually they win the ball game. It's like the turnover margin in football. Last night, first off, you have to once again give credit to the opponent. They committed to sending guys to the offensive glass. They didn't care, and, and so credit to them. Um, also, there were. There were just some little crooked nannies where the ball just literally went back. Excuse to, me? Yeah, crooked nannies. Yeah, that's a, that's a southern term where the ball Nooks just... Nooks and crannies? Well, I say the other way because it's my podcast. Crooks and nannies? Yeah. That sounds like... Okay, okay. That's... Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a great, it's a great southern article. It's a I, great I, southern I got to tell you, I thought that was straight out of a children's book, but go on. Um, where the ball literally just you know caromed off the rim back to the UNC Wilmington player. Nothing you can yeah, do about yeah. that. No, I agree with that. There yep. were times that Carolina simply blocked the shot back into the UNC Wilmington player. So there was just a lot of odd things that went into it. Does Carolina got to do a much better job boxing out? Sure. There was three or four times Pete Nance was too far underneath the rim, so he took himself out of rebounding position. Does Carolina got to commit better to going to get 50-50 loose balls? Absolutely. But I don't think this is something that's going to to translate into the next game, into the next game. Armando Baycott sat on the bench for over six minutes and still grabbed nine rebounds. Like, he was still the guy that when he was on the court, he clogged the middle, and he was able to, you know, really control the board for for the Tar Heels. And so, look, it's not the most encouraging thing, but I'm not sitting here saying after one game, this team's got major rebounding issues. They get out-rebounded Friday night or 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 next Tuesday of next week, then I'll come on here and say, because that's three games, you yep. start to see trends developing. Then I'll come on and say, hey, I've got some, I've got some concerns about this team's ability to rebound the ball. Yeah, and look, any other time, you know, I referenced that Louisville game. Any other, any time that something like that happens, Carolina usually responds in a big way. Um, I, I mean, again, you 
people have to remember that Armando Baycott nearly broke David Robert Robinson's record for triple dub or for double doubles in a season a year ago. Like this dude, this dude is as good of a rebound as good of a rebounder as it gets in the country. Um, and again, he's kind of reached that point. What that we've talked about with other players before, um, that we're currently talking about with a guy like Drake May on the football side of things, where there's just such a level of dominance, where if he has a night like nine rebounds, I mean, for most guys, you're going to take that. That's a really strong performance from your big man. For Armando Baycott, that's an off night. Like that's the point that you've reached with him. So. I'm not really all that concerned. I think, like you said, there were definitely some weird caroms, and I would count that up to first night caroms, you know, just some weird things that were happening. Um, And and again, I I said this, you know, just just overall about the game when I was talking earlier to our guy Colin Hoggard about the game. I, I I, I never felt like last night was a problem with effort. I never there there was never a time where I said to myself, man, these are there's just a guy kind of lollygagging out there. There's a guy that's really not doing what he's supposed to be doing. It was just that there were times where Wilmington was able to get a loose ball that Carolina simply wasn't able to come away with. So, I'm with you. I'm not really overly concerned just yet. Um but it's, it's something to monitor here over these next couple of games because, yeah, if you're getting beat on the glass consistently by mid-major teams, when you actually get into playing some of those teams in the PK-85 tournament, when you get to the CBS Sports Classic, when you get eventually into conference play, you could be in some trouble. I think one of the things we most were excited about last night were the new guys because we knew what you had coming back in Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Both of those guys scored 17 points. Armando Baycott, who who really you know almost started the season off with yet another another double double. Same thing for Leaky Black. We knew what he's going to be, but you had four new freshmen really that 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 joined the team this year. Two played last night. Two did not. The two that did not play were big men, both Jalen Washington and Will Shaver. But the two guys that we knew had the most chance to make an impact were Seth Trimble and Tyler Nickel. And Trimble led the way off the bench, playing 15 minutes. He scored four points, and Nickel scored six point or, or, or played six minutes off the bench and didn't 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 score a bucket. But I, I really thought you saw from from Trimble primarily because. Tyler Nichol didn't shoot the ball, and that's going to be his greatest asset. Mm-hmm. You saw from Tremble everything you wanted to see. You saw that on-ball defender that we talked about. Like Brendan Marks said, that's the reason why he's going to play, is that as as explosive as he is going to be offensively, his willingness to defend is why Hubert Davis trusts him so much. And you saw that last night. His his ability, I thought, to, to to push the ball when he got the ball, and he wasn't afraid to. So many times we see young Carolina point guards not know what to do with the ball in the open court. He knew what to do. He took the ball and ran, mm-hmm. and he got an and one opportunity because of it. 
there's a lot of expectation for him coming in, but it's like we said all summer long, the reason why we're so confident that he's going to be the type of player we need him to be this year is because his role was perfectly outlined and defined, and last night was a step in why we think this guy is primed for some big-time things for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, last night should should excite you because, again, as you mentioned, I mean, look, a, guy, a point guard shining in an opener is not really foreign to Carolina, uh, you know, especially here in in recent years but you saw a guy that looked like he didn't have pressure on him he could go out play free do what he knows how to do and I thought look he was he was easily Carolina's best player off the bench mm-hmm. I thought Dontre Styles did some good things I mean my god you talk about a guy that is just committed to rebounding he had one where he skied I mean he must have jumped about 40 feet in the air to rip this rebound down but Seth Trimble, I mean, you you just saw a dude that was under control. He did not look like a freshman. And and that's the thing. That's what you're looking for from these guys. You're looking for guys that look natural out there. And, again, how much stock can you put in it ultimately when it comes to what he'll be for the rest of this season? I don't know. But this is a really good start, and you should feel confident with what you saw from him. You should also feel confident with what you saw from Tyler Nickel. I know it was six minutes. Like you said, he didn't shoot the ball, but I think there is some value in that. He wasn't a guy that, looked the minute that he caught the ball, I got to throw up a shot and show what I got. Yeah, He was a guy that kind of filled his role. I thought he did some good things defensively as well. He looked very active as well. He covered space quickly and and I think that was the important thing so it's two guys that know their role they know they're going to get their time to shine and I was extremely encouraged by what I saw now overall from the from the bench I don't I, I don't know how to feel because encouraged yeah I mean and and the thing is is that you also have to realize they're not at full strength I I wasn't exactly thrilled by the fact that Carolina's only points off the bench came from Seth Trimble. And Marco Dunn. Oh, did he end up scoring? At one point, it was just Seth Trimble. So, um, you know, I I think we probably expect these guys to be able to score at times off the bench. And you're looking for those guys that can score off the bench because there are going to be times where you're not just playing one of these guys, even two of these guys at a time. There will be times where you have to play three or four of these guys on the court at the same time. But I think you still saw some encouraging things, especially from those young guys and that's the exciting part about this. We're going to learn. This is the time of the season where what you can learn during the non-conference more than anything when you're playing some of these mid-majors is what do you have depth-wise. And I think this was a start to showing that, hey, that that freshman point guard that we brought in, he's got something, and he's going to play. Well, the theme all summer long was developing more depth. And, you know, this was something that, that Hubert Davis didn't do last year, even in the non-conference season, before we went to the Iron Five. He coached – that game felt as if Roy Williams was on the sidelines because you saw lineups on the court you're not going to see in January – you're not going to see in February. No doubt. And you're no doubt. definitely not going to see in March. So he was experimenting because he has so much more available to him that he didn't have last year. And so, yeah, that's a big reason why the offense was out of sorts because you had guys on the court at the same time that probably have never been on the court at the same time and may and may never be 
on the court at the same time. And you still controlled the game. You still, you know, did everything you wanted to do. You still won the game. So that's why you got to feel encouraged. I mean, DeMarco Dunn played 13 minutes. Yep. I mean, that's almost more than he played the last half of the the, the, of the regular season last year. And I'm not even exaggerating. So you could tell that, you know, what you saw in the exhibition two weeks ago against Johnson C. Smith, yeah, it was, it was against an overmatched opponent. But what you saw from him individually, it's not an outlier. That's how far he has come. Yep. And you saw Dontrez Styles, who only played three minutes. You mentioned two rebounds. Uh, that one where he jumped up 40 feet in the air, I could do that before I tore my ACL. And then you had, um, you, you know, and then you had Nickel, who not scoring but defended. Yeah. And you don't see that from a freshman. Like usually, a guy like him in his role, if he's not shooting the ball, he may be unwilling to defend. And so, all of that really cultivated to I think my biggest takeaway from last night's game, outside of outside of the Carolina being not rebounded, you saw. You saw for the first time a lineup that Hubert Davis wants Carolina to play with, and that was four guards and a big, and that was with a, f- a freshman on all, you know on the court with them. There was a lineup on the court that it consisted of R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, Demarco Dunn, Seth Trimble. And Pete Nance. I cannot confirm this, but when this lineup was out there, I did hear a girlish like scream on the other end of the phone. This may or may not have been you. I mean, that was everything that that that's when you when you see that lineup on the court, and it's not gonna be for an extended period of time, but it's gonna it's gonna come in moments. That's the future. That's Carolina basketball. That's Carolina basketball with Hubert Davis's fingerprints, his personality, how he wants to run the program. And we couldn't do that last year. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that because we wouldn't trade last year's you know, the only thing we would change about last year was the final result. That's the only thing we would change. Like we wouldn't we wouldn't trade away having Brady Manic to play with four guards. Like we, we just wouldn't. But I, I thought that was something and the trust factor he has already in a set tremble to be on the court and with six minutes to go in a game that you were winning yeah. and controlling, game wasn't over. Like, you know, in theory, the game wasn't over. For DeMarco Dunn to be on the court in those moments, you would imagine that over time maybe Dontress Styles works his way back into being on the court in those moments. Yeah, I'm shocked he only played three minutes. I thought you would definitely see him a little bit more. But, no, you're, you're right. I mean, that's 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 what – Hubert Davis ultimately wants to be, and again, you're you're going to see moments. There's going to be a lot of times where Armando and Pete Nance are going to be on the court together. This will be a lineup that, as we've said a couple of times in the off season, will resemble a lot of what Roy Williams did with two bigs. But that tells you just how versatile this Tar Heel team is. That you can go from playing nearly two big men to going to a lineup where you've got four guards on the court. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come in handy when you get into conference play. When you're playing against Virginia Tech, who has a guy in Justin Mutz that plays the four, that plays that like like he could be a two-guard. And... Another one, I mean, another one that's always killed Carolina where a lineup like that could help them, Notre Dame, a team that always spaces Carolina out, that has a big man that can stretch the floor. Can you imagine having a guy that can move the way that Pete Nance does 
on Nate. I'm not even remembering how to pronounce his name. Leshevsky? Yeah, Leshevsky. Instead of having to always run Armando Baycott at him, you can throw some different things at him and have four other guards that can take away the other guys that are out there to stretch the floor for Notre Dame. That's the thing that's so amazing about how this Carolina team is built. And that's what I think should really excite people. Last night, you know, again, probably you're going to want to see more scoring from this bench unit as the season goes along. And I think you're going to get it, especially when Puff Johnson comes back. But you're seeing that Carolina is going to be able to use a multitude of guys in many different ways that will give teams different looks than a year ago. Because... Yeah, there were times last year where teams were prepared for what Carolina was going to throw at them because, yeah, you were throwing five, six, maybe sometimes seven guys at them, but that was pretty much it. That was as deep as you actually were. In the NCAA tournament, it worked out because your guys just said, hey, we're going to go out here and just beat teams. We don't care if they're prepared for us or not. We're going to make shots, but I I think – you know, this team, there's, there's going to be so many different pieces, so many different guys that can come onto the court and impact the game, and that's what should really excite fans. All in all, it wasn't the prettiest, most sexiest performance, but like my co-host said about himself in the dating world, it got the job done. By the and- way, one other thing that we got to mention, the only reason I'm mentioning this because I have seen multiple people that have said this on social media. Is this a real thing? Like, I... I I don't know if I really noticed it. Maybe maybe it makes a little bit of sense. Is that people trying to say Leaky is taller? I don't think he's taller. I think he put on more bulk. I think the haircut just made him look different. Like, I don't know, he's man. he's sporting new hair. So is Armando Baycott, which, yes, that is supposed to be the Ram horns that you see on Rams. I dig it. So, you know, this is a guy that's dig fallen it, in love with the university. Um, and, and that was a, a, a unique way of displaying it, to say the least. Um, but I, I don't think Leaky got. I think he's. I think he's put on maybe a little bit more size because they might use him more as a four this year. So maybe that's what it is. I there were and when I say multiple people, I mean there was a point last night where I saw like four or five people commenting this. Well, I'm gonna ask and him I'm like, what he ate or drank huh? over the summer. So I too. To be grow. fair, his mom did say that it seems like it. That he might be taller. So I don't know. Maybe he actually is taller. Who knows? Well, well, we'll just have to see as the season moves along. Hopefully Carolina stands tall against the competition as the journey back to the Final Four. There you go. That's a way to kill an episode is, right there, is underway. and uh, But with that, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We do encourage you guys to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where we had you covered leading up to the game with the UNC Wilmington preview. And I had you covered the post game. Stayed up, you know, into the wee hours of the morning, recapping Carolina's season opening win. What a hero. Um, So we do encourage you guys to go back and check that out. I'll be getting you ready for Friday's matchup for the College of Charleston. We're also continuing to keep you up to date on the football side of things. Carolina back in action this Saturday night 
against Wake Forest as, as Carolina will seek to clinch the ACC Coastal this week. Uh, you can go back and check out everything from the Virginia game, Anthony's recap. Uh, our newest writer, Graham, wrote about his experience up there in Charlottesville. I'm not committing to a Trench Report article, but it, it very, well, very well may show up on the site as well. Uh, and then you got Anthony's stock report. And then, of course, all that same coverage will be there following Notre Dame. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners podcast, and we will pop up where we encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast. But most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show during the basketball season. You probably noticed a uptick in episodes last week with all the preview stuff we have coming out. We're also going to try... As, as our work schedules do best accommodate, to recap and preview every game individually. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show during the basketball season. Well, let's wrap up this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Get any sweeter than that!